Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of the JN Irrigation Training Series. I'm your host, Richard Restucia, and today we're staying within the landscaping realm, but getting a little bit out of the water or irrigation area. And, uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, the landscaping industry is probably a $100 billion industry in the United States. But uh, as I talk to uh, contractors all over the country, uh, one thing's for sure is they're all busy. But one of their challenges has been uh, lack of labor, lack of people to do work. Uh, so they're not as busy as they could be. And actually, you know, they're not maybe as busy as they were a few years ago. Uh, but they have the jobs, they just need more labor. So as we look at things to save labor, we also often find that these things are sustainable solutions for landscapers as well. So certainly, uh, we have an opportunity to uh, talk about autonomous lawnmowers or anything battery powered that can uh, that can help us uh, do more work, do better work, uh, cleaner work, then we want to know about it. So uh, I'm really excited today because um, uh, Ben Co uh, Collingsworth, he's from Yellowstone Landscaping, he's the Director of Operational Technology, is going to take us on this uh, uh, autonomous lawnmower journey today. And the reason I'm excited about this is uh, Ben, like many of us, started in the landscape industry when he was uh, young mowing lawns, but uh, he started a business in Texas back in uh, the early 2000s. And uh, uh, it was called Native Land Design, and he built that business up for almost 20 years um, and uh, and sold it off to uh, Yellowstone. And if you don't know about Yellowstone and what they're doing these days, um, this is really a uh, up and uh, I won't, won't call them up and coming. They're a very experienced uh, uh, landscaping company that are doing some really great work in the areas of sustainability and water management all over the country. So um, he's, uh, he's, as I mentioned, the Director of Operational Technology. He's working in the areas of robotics as well as battery-operated machinery. He's got a degree in horticulture and landscape uh, architecture from Texas A&M University. They even have a spot for him and his wife uh, named in the gardens there uh, um, as, a, as a tribute to the great work he's been doing. So Ben, thanks for joining us uh, today. I, I really appreciate having uh, such an expert on the, on the webinar today. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. It's, 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 um, it's, it's nice to be able to spread some of this new information throughout the industry. So hopefully it can benefit a few people that are on your, on your yeah, webinars. So, can, yeah. So yeah. The, the first thing that comes up for me, Ben, and, um, uh, uh, and, and I'm just wondering this, right? Because uh, I've been trying to figure out how to title this, how to talk about it. What is the proper name? Is it a robotic lawnmower? <laughs> is it a self-driving? Is it autonomous? What What's the uh, preferred term? Yeah, roboticists get really, really picky about that. And you know, full autonomy means it has no human engagement at all whatsoever. So none of these units, or most of these units, some of the residential ones might be uh, capable of being fully autonomous, but most of them are semi-autonomous which means they do have some engagement from a human, right? And, and so that's, they call them robotic lawnmowers and, and you can then further delineate if it's semi-autonomous or fully autonomous. Fully autonomous will be the smaller residential units that you see that can plug themselves in, recharge, come out and mow on its own schedule without any interference from a human. Most of the stuff that we go through, at least that I do uh, with commercial large size properties, 
is semi-autonomous, meaning you jump on, you can use it manually as a mower, it can do things through automation. Uh, but for the most part, it's still heavily dependent upon a human. Ah, okay. So, right. So like the, uh, the, the mower for my yard at home, right? The, the, the Roomba uh, for my yard, right? This is nothing I'm going to get on and drive or mow with. It's, it's going to be by itself and that would be autonomous. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Very cool. So, um, you know, what I said early on about the state of the landscaping industry, um, would you kind of agree with that? Disagree? Is labor an issue? Is this going to help solve the labor issue? Yeah, and labor, uh, like you said, that started early 2000s, and <clears throat> I remember some pretty um, gangbuster times where we had more people coming in the door, even since I've been in business the last 20-something years, um, than we had jobs to fill, and that's been a long time in the rears, and I haven't seen that uh, in a while. I don't think we're going to see it again in the future, so I think labor problems uh, are here to stay as the country gets bigger, more opportunity creates itself throughout the country. It's only going to be compounded right so our our idea at least in, in researching and going through these new technologies for yellowstone is to make sure that we can do the most we can with what we have that if you have uh, a city where we've got 60 or 70 employees we can maximize the amount of efficiencies we can get out of the production of those people and that kind of led me to the robotic side yeah so you guys are definitely uh cutting edge forward thinking uh, uh organization uh, how about other contractors? Is this catching on? Is there interest? Uh, what's happening? Yeah, I'm, I'm always encouraged. You know, when we go to national events, we just got back from Elevate in Orlando and, um, you know, there were 1,700 people there and I bet you 1,695 of them were very interested in robotics, uh, at least curious. And so maybe it's different to say interested versus curious. Everybody wants to know, is this going to be something we can utilize in our company and when? And if it can be, then um, who's the, the kind of the top players, who's doing what? Um, so the questions I get normally as I walk around those big events is, um, you know, what's the time frame horizon? Who's doing what? How safe are they? Uh, can you get them insured? I mean, there's, there's a million questions that people come up with and they say, really, you think this is going to work? Like, I don't trust this thing as far as I can throw it. Um, so you have people that are curious, maybe not, not going to be early adopters. Uh, but I think a lot of the industry is really paying attention now. There's enough of this out there. There's enough money being thrown at it that um, I think people are starting to realize it's not a it's not an if at this point. It's a win. Yeah, it's interesting too, right? Uh, I'm I'm always amazed at the kind of the reluctance, right? Is this thing safe? Is it going to work? Um, uh, when we're spending a lot of time, I think, in planes that are pretty much flying themselves. Um, so that's uh, that's always a surprise to me. Now. Um, Let's talk about some of the advantages though, Ben. What, uh, what, what do you see as some of the key uh, advantages of using a, a self-driving mower? Sure, and are we sharing my screen? Can I advance a slide and show Yeah, we can see it great right. right now. Okay, good. So I'll just give you an idea of, you know, for us in other industries, you're seeing these across other places where people are getting comfortable with them, right? And so it starts in ag. Ag is really easy because they're very expensive. There's no, people out in these fields, there's a lot less um, uh, distractions for these, for these mowers, uh, these um, machines that cost 250, 300, $400,000, that's easy to, to automate those. So we're getting really comfortable with food production. Uh, obviously the Roomba stuff that you've seen, Amazon's doing a ton of things with, with uh, delivery of certain things. There's, there's campuses where they're delivering pizzas, you know, with these little robots. Um, if you come to Austin, I'm not sure how many other places they have them, but these coffee machines that you go and line up for. And I actually 
prefer now to other copy vendors where you just go up and you can have the app on your phone or just plug it at the front and it makes you the exact same cover copy the exact same way in a very short amount of time. Or you can hit it on the app when you're in the parking lot. It'll be waiting for you when you walk inside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's and even in the warehouses or I've seen these in airports too when you walk out and even during the day, you know, they're vacuuming and they're mopping and doing other things with robots and warehouses. So <clears throat> the technology is getting very advanced, it's getting a lot, a lot cheaper, which is allowing us then to go into these smaller units and, and use them in, um, in the mowers that we've got. And so if I just kind of advance through a few of those different things, you can kind of see some of the stuff that we're working on at Yellowstone and other guys are working with us on, which is um, uh, products like this, which is a, a right mower stand on that a company called Greensy is working with us on and we've been using for shoot going on about eight months now these are robots that we have in our possession that are on our properties that are are mowing you can see from the uh the production map that we have an outline of red and that outline of red is a a manual area where we've gone out we do an outline of the property that we want to fill in with the uh, automation and then you just turn that mower loose and let it start to infill back and forth um and so and it's been really encouraging for us to see how quickly they've been able to go out, find problems, fix them, uh, to try to make them super safe, make them easy for the guys to use, make it um, engaging with a an app on your phone or a remote in your hand, um, and get the guys comfortable with uh, using them in the field. So we've been, we've been testing these for a while now, and they've become um, kind of a standard site here in Austin if you go out and see these on properties. We get a ton of interest in them. You know, people come out from all likes and stand around and watch us do it, or they say, hey, 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 your mower's gone erratic and you need to go stop it. You know, they think that it's a runaway mower or something. Uh, but it gets a lot of attention. Um, and and so we're we're using products like this all across uh, our, our city in Austin right now. It's yeah, I can just imagine you could uh, draw a pretty good crowd, uh, especially in certain HOAs when, uh, when you break this out. Now, uh, it's interesting. Now, this uh, the shell mower here. Uh, it looks like there's a place to stand on it too, and it operates just like a regular mower until you uh, turn it loose. Yes, sir. Yeah. So that's the benefit of a lot of these, and I'll show you some different ones that, that are set up a little bit differently. But they um, they allow you to jump on it one because most of the properties we have cannot be fully automated. Uh, they have some human engagement. If you're going to do that, you got to jump on the mower and be able to mow it. Or if there's a problem and the uh, software is not working, you know, you can take over and just use it like a regular manual mower. Um, so this and many other versions, you either stand on or sit on, you can use it in either manual or automated mode. Yeah, so I remember in uh, in my contracting days, you know, we had some big account cemeteries, for instance, that you could literally drive a mower all day long, uh, every day, all day, five days a week and trying to get things mowed. And boy, talk about monotonous. Uh, so I love this idea that I can start my mower, I can do a little mowing, but then I can change my job, um, probably increase my productivity as a result, and then go back to my mower when, when I need to. Right. And that's, um, you know, I'll kind of summarize some of those things towards the, the end of the slideshow. And you'll see that a big part of this is one, you don't want people to think that this is a job killer because this is the opposite of a job killer. Not one person will lose their job at Yellowstone because of automation and robotics. Instead, again, it takes the same people that we have in the branch and lets them do more work. If we have a hard time going out and finding, oh, we need 15 new people this season for this new contract we've sold. Well, we have a hard time finding 15. So you try to make do with seven, right? 
so the idea is that we're using these um, to go out and do the monotonous things so that people can use their eyes and ears and brains to do the things that clients really, really, really want to differentiate us and set us apart. Most of us do a really good job of mowing grass. You know, it's the details that end up killing you if the client likes your services or not. So whether it's the entries, the color, the, the um, irrigation, um, bed control, and, and other things that are really impactful for the client when they come to the site, that's where we want people spending their time. That's where we want the humans to spend their time so that they can have to do less of this and that we can we can differentiate ourselves a little bit more from the competition. Yeah, pretty cool. So I see this one bullet here, detailed reporting. Um, what kind of reports are we generating? How do they get them? Uh, and how does this help you? Yeah, so I'll show some of these will actually have um, some of that reporting. Most of these guys do a really good job of post-production reports, um, which I can actually pull up a version of. Like this one, for instance, this is a company called Have and Shine out of Chicago. Um, and they send you something that says, hey, we, we mowed this area and we, we were able to create a map like, um, sorry, like we did here, a post-production map that shows these areas were mowed and maintained in the site. So you can pull back and see now, hey, it took this long, this much was automated, this much was manual. And now we have an idea of what was and wasn't done throughout the property, which, you know, we normally would just, trust that the crew's done it, or we would have a visual inspection where we go out to the site and see that it's happened. But it's kind of neat to get a post-production report from a mower to say, this is the area that I was able to maintain. Um, so that, the, you know, you can very easily see, for instance, even in this one that's up, oh crap, they forgot to do that area in the corner that's white. And it normally would be, oh, it was wet or it was something else, or there's some other reason for it. But you do get information that you weren't used to getting. And so you get a confirmation that, hey, this work was done. This is how it was done. If the client never questioned whether it was done or not, you have proof that, hey, we've got we've got a proof that this was done and GPS tagged proof mm -hmm. um, to show the people that they were able to do it. There's also, all these guys have cameras, like if people that are, are um, paying attention to the cars that are out there and self-driving now, um, they got cameras around the outside of them. They're able to take pictures. Some of them can do video where you'll have also um, evidence that the work was done through that method too. Which yes, is pretty yeah, Pretty I want to remind everybody that I've got the Q&A and the chat open. So if you have a question or want to make a comment, put it in there and I'll ask uh, Ben when it's appropriate. Now, Ben, uh, I think a large part of uh, commercial landscaping success is in your bids, right? Getting the bid right and then uh, performing the work according to the bid. Um, is there anything in these uh, mowers that help you uh, check, check your, your bidding process? I think they have the potential to really help do that as we go through the future. I think it'll really help to verify that we we're doing a certain activity for a certain amount of time, things that we kind of guess a little bit on before. We say, hey, this is the production rate for this crew. It's got to be the same for all, you know, 5,000 people that work at Yellowstone. Well, that's not true, right? Different crews, different areas, different regions have different production rates. And I think this will help us to fine tune that. So when we bid a property, we're not bidding it based on some magic estimation of what we think that that property can be produced that it should be a lot more uh, linear once we get some of this feedback from some of these things in the field during a, a period of time. There's also companies that are working with um, uh, site measurements so where we go through and look at this stuff and they can say, hey, we think that of this site, it's got you know 12 acres, of the 12 acres, eight can be automated, four will probably have to be manual. And I think that will really help to drive down our production rates and needs for a lot of these properties. It's to say, hey, we we can now take a four-man crew. Maybe we can make it a three-man crew. 
and do that same property in the same amount of time because we can set up one or two of these robots to work uh, full time while these guys are doing other work. So I think it will help a lot in the production planning and in producing uh, better and more immediate impact and results back to us than we currently have or have had in the past. And that will make us probably a lot smarter the way we do it. Yeah, that's um, uh, as any business, right? You have, have to get a handle on your costs, know your costs, then you're going to uh, determine whether or not you're profitable or not. So we've, we've got a question coming in from uh, a viewer who uh, is looking at this slide right now and uh, is asking, you can really do pay as you mow pricing? It's like a lease program or what, what is it? Yeah. And that's a part of, as I go through these different options, a lot of these guys all have very different methods of monetizing their robotics. So for instance, I'll let you, the Greensy, they want you to buy a physical mower. And so like normal, you'll pay a little bit more because it's a robotic mower than you would in others. Maybe it's 20, 30% more than a standard uh, stand on a rider. And then you pay them a robotics as a service monthly fee. So it could be that you're really like you're used to with other stuff or like Tesla's doing now with their fully self-driving things. Um, you'll pay a monthly fee in order to get, you know, accurate maps, updated stuff on a regular basis, push down updates, and then also have um, service that you can call them on and talk to them all when, when you need to. So that'll be one method. Uh, this method will be currently, the way that Scythe is producing, it's, it's uh, produced by the acre. So instead, they'll go out and say, hey, we can do, you know, 25, 30 acres a week with this mower. We'll give you for X amount per acre, and then you pay them what they can produce um, by acre for the mower for the month. And that's that's unique to them. Uh, some other people are starting to catch on with it now and do the same too. I think that it's a very popular option for pre-production units. A lot of these are, are demos, you know, we're kind of using, they're not perfect. They're not ready for the, for the street really yet. And so as we use them here at Yellowstone, what we like to do is be able to make it a partnership where we understand there's some risk involved in it, but I don't wanna also go and just spend money for something that doesn't work. Um, so if they're paying by the cost of acre, it makes us really walk hand in hand. Okay, well, we're getting something out of it. Uh, and they're out there, the more they can do, the quicker they can do it, the more they'll make per unit, right? And so, yes, yeah, so it is set up like a lease and then they'll go out and say, if there's a problem with this mower, um, then we'll fix it, we'll replace it. We'll do something and it's not your problem, it's our problem you're still just going to pay us as a cost of production per acre. So, so that's, you kind of treat them like a sub a little bit. Right. I, I like that, right? It's more of a partnership. And uh, and like you said, if you're not, if it's not working, you're not going to pay for it. So. Uh, right. And I'll give you, there is another option that's out there that um, some people may have heard, especially in the Northeast is electric sheep. I think they're California too. Um, they have a different model don't buy the mower up front. You don't have any depreciation or, or upfront expense costs on the hardware. Instead, you pay them a flat monthly fee, regardless of productivity. So you go out and say, hey, I'm going to pay you X amount of money um, per month. And of that X amount, you might get 15 acres on one crew and you might get 35 acres on another crew. It'll average out to you know, 25 acres or whatever it is. And if you do the backwards math, there's still a really good chance that you get a good ROI on these machines at that rate. It's um, they're banking on the fact that, Hey, we just want to guarantee the monthly amount. Like you would pay an employee. If you have an employee that comes in, well, some employees are better than others, right? So some will be producing at a higher rate than others. And they create uh, a similar program where they're like, you just have a fixed monthly fee that you pay us, not more, not less. Um, and then you go out there and use the, the mower to your best of your ability. 
Um, so we're testing that that method out also. Yeah, and then how hard is it, if I'm mowing a baseball field, how hard is it to say, mow the field, these are the parameters, is this something I need to set up at the office first on the computer? Can I actually do it on my phone or tablet? What? How, how does that work? Yeah, all these initially are best suited in the field. So they're best suited to learn in the field. Um, you'll get on it, some of them have a button called learn mode and you'll push that learn mode and you will take all the perimeter mowing. Normally you do two swaps. You go up to you know eight to 10 feet around the outside of anything you want in field. So on a baseball field, you would mow the outside of it, then get off and say, you know, infill. And it'll infill in between all those border areas that you've mowed. Theoretically, over time, you know, you would love for it to be able to say, hey, here's the map of that property. Here's the extensive borders. If that's the case, stay within them. Now you're gonna have to have really, really, really accurate GPS and LIDAR and other types of stuff to be able to say, okay, we know exactly where to hit at that at that bullet point and turn around and go back the other way. That's probably a little ways away. You know, we're probably a year or two away from being able to, to do that. Um, only because GPS and, and the software that most of us use isn't accurate down to inches, it's accurate down to feet, right? So you may say, hey, that's what, you know, Apple's okay with it being five feet away from the actual place where you're sitting. Well, that's not okay for a 72 inch machine that weighs a thousand pounds. It's going to um, having rotating blades, right? So those have to be down within inches. In order to do that, they rely a lot on infield stuff. Now, when you go back, theoretically, if they're learning and it's in the cloud, that mower, uh, once it's been taught the first time, should be able to remember that for the second time. Now, these guys, most all of them, and I'll even advance to another slide here to show you a different version. Um, these guys are all very much wanting to get to a point where they're within inches of accuracy. But it's going to be a while before we can get there. So we're still going to be doing that outside mow pattern initially before we get to a point where we can just turn this thing loose. In a perfect world, what you would do the second time you go out there is you would jump out, bring that mower out of the trailer, take it to the place, do your perimeter mowing again, and it just gets better and better at the infill. You can change the direction and say, mow at 15 degrees step this way, that way, go this way, that way. You can, you can so it doesn't wear on the, the grass and patterns. What they, most of them want to do is initially is, you know, let's say it's version, your 52nd trip to the property. On that 52nd trip, at some point, you're gonna be able to pull up with your trailer, just open the back of the trailer and the mower says, I know where I'm at, I'm going, yeah. right? So then it pulls itself off the trailer, takes itself to where it's going, and it mows everything for you. That's where they want to get to. And that's what we're hoping to help them do. Yeah, so you can even see in this uh, image here, you can see the um, the striping in the turf and see that it just didn't uh, do it all in one direction every time. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and you can even, a lot of these, you can just tell it, hey, every, every trip, make a five degree variance on your mow pattern so that you can make sure you're not running stuff up. Yeah. So um, Ben, we've got another question coming in and it's about safety. How safe are these? How do you make sure it doesn't run over a person or a, or a dog or an animal? Uh, how is this handled? Yeah, and I've been um, working with units, uh, pre-production prototypes for a couple of years now. And the good news is I can tell you that there has never been a singular incident or even close to of anybody being hurt or property being damaged or a car being run into or None of that's happened. They pretty much have over-engineered these to a point where they're almost too safe. And what I mean by that is they're very cautious and they do not want anybody to get a bad experience up front because they know that that will be bad for the whole industry. 
So, um, for instance, you know, you may have somebody that walks in front of one that's 20 feet away and that thing will just shut down and freeze up. It will not go forward until you huh. either manually engage it, depending on which version you're using, or, you know, it can alert you by your phone. Um, they want you to be within eyesight. So you can be doing other stuff around different properties, but they don't want the thing to be around the corner in the back of a building by itself at this point without you being somewhere where you can see it. Um, so then you can tell it, yes, keep going. That obstacle's kept moving and has gone away or you can go over and engage with it manually. But we have not had a singular incident. And and I'm kind of like similar with these, some of these electric cars that, that we drive. And I've got a Tesla, I've had it for four years. Um, your, your rates of incident per mile driven in a Tesla is insanely better than a human driving, right? And that's, these are early versions of the cars. I think that we're gonna find the same thing with ours used in mowers. You're going to have, you know, rate per instant per thousand hours of mowing, and, and these mowers will be substantially less than what you're going to have in a human because they just they don't get tired, they don't go too fast, they don't do anything um, that they're not programmed to do. So I think that um, I feel extraordinarily comfortable with them, um, and I think that most people will find as they use them that it's, you know, I have less concern with these than I do with most humans that drive these mowers. <laughs> Right, right. So, well, that's really cool to hear and good, right? Um, and then what, these are all battery operated? No, sir. So they're all a little bit different. Um, so some of these, this is, uh, they'll have battery and gas options for some of these guys. So uh, uh, Shine, for instance, is, is solely going electric. And there's reasons for that. There's a, another version, this one I use in Houston called uh, Zap. It's a Nomad and it's gas too. Most roboticists like about electric versus gas is that it's a, a lot more efficient and a ton less vibration. So if you're looking at all these sensors and cameras that go all around these things that make them really expensive, um, you know, the more they vibrate and, and move around and the hotter they get, the yeah. less likely they are to succeed. So the battery units typically give these people more options to um, to have longer lasting robotic runs and to have better uh, sensor engagement that they've got with all these LIDARs and other versions of stuff that they're using. So it's not just for the environmental reasons, um, which is also great, but it's also because it's a, it makes it for a, a better unit for robotics, typically. But there's going to be, especially initially, there's going to be a lot of gas options out there in addition to electric. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So the, uh, but how is the battery performance? Um, do you get hours out of it, days? How, what's that look like? Yeah. So uh, different units obviously consume different amounts of power. So that can be different here than it is in Ohio, than it is in Florida, um, depending on the heat. So in a typical, what most of these guys shoot for is a six to eight hour runtime day, right? And that's six to eight hours of engaged blade time, not just if you have a, a, a person that or a crew that has 10 or 15% of their day spent, you know, going long ways with their mower to reach different parts, that normally can go on for a long time. When the blade's not engaged, these things go on forever. Yeah. When the blade gets engaged is when it starts to really suck up some power. So most of them are trying to shoot for six to eight hour run days because that's what a typical crew would do in a 10 hour or a um, eight hour day. Um, if you're working five days a week, companies like us, like a lot of my branches like to do four tens. And if you're doing a 10 hour workday, well, like, well, how do we make that work? There's a few so far who have been able to pull off some 10 hour run days with engaged blades. Huh. I think that's a stretch. And I think that's going to be really, really hard for people to get 10 hours out of a 
mower if it's 105 degrees and you have a decent amount of blade that you're trying to cut because that torque ends up eating up battery. Um, so it, it's a kind of a mixed bag. For most people, if you're getting six to eight hours of run time, actual blade engaged run time during a day, I think that these mowers could be fine if they're an electric version. If you're getting longer than that, it's going to be a little bit dicey. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So um, the other thing you, you you're saying blade are they all blades or do some have other cutting devices beside uh, a lawnmower blade? Yeah. Some of these, the smaller units, especially that most people have been seeing with uh, Husqvarna and the, and the Roomba styles, you know, they're using those those smaller uh, razor blade type blades that aren't true large commercial blades that are being spun around. Um, and those have been neat. We've got one, and I'll kind of advance a little bit so to virtualize some. We've got one that we've been using here that I'll show you the picture of a of a mower down this bottom right. It's called Siora uh, that also does that, but can do it in a commercial uh, larger five acre property. And these um, are really cool. They have the smaller units, obviously have a smaller bandwidth of acreage they can maintain but they're fully autonomous right so they can go and plug itself back in and wait and then charge itself for two or three hours come back out and keep going and mow for 18 hours right and it can mow every single day and some of these will do that Roomba style random patterns some of them will strike um like we've got with the the sewer down at the bottom um which is pretty awesome so it can mimic what a commercial mower would do if it was out there mowing with a human and it can do it with a fully autonomous robotic smaller machine that may be 30 inches wide so it, it just depends on the size of the unit the larger units are all using big blades the smaller units are using those razor blade types now one thing i was surprised to see was some of these smaller units the prices of them actually i think make sense for residential use um it do you see that? Uh, I, know, I know you're really fixed on the commercial side, but uh, for residential use, is this becoming a reality? Absolutely. I mean, we, we I see, and if I were doing large scale residential, um, and I know some friends that who are doing that and are doing it uh, with the state and state style homes and with smaller uh, regular track homes, and you know, that have hundreds and hundreds of these units deployed across the country. And the feedback I get from all of them is, yeah, man, where you can put it in, where a client's open or receptive to it. There are some limitations on backyard, front yard. You know, you'd have to be able to build in little bitty doors where these things can go through. Um, if you have dogs or there's a lot of uh, uh, trash that's in the backyard or other stuff that can be a limitation from some of these units being used. But where you can use it, it it, it performs really, really, really well. And, and also horticulturally, it, it cuts a smaller amount of the blade, puts nitrogen back to the ground. You can theoretically use less fertilizers. You can use less water um, because they're mowing every single day. And the client loves it because they get a daily fresh cut look because these things are going off seven days a week. Um, they can also do it in, in light rain. I mean, if it's heavy downpour, they probably won't do it, but uh, they can do it because they're so light and small. You know, they're not rutting things up. You're not getting compaction issues. Um, so it's really, if I were in the residential space, man, I would be all in where a client is open to it. I would be trying my hardest to get these things out there because, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it saves you a lot of time and energy. You're sending guys to go back and just do weedy blowing and, and some, um, detail work and you're not worried about the, the, the mowing side. Yeah. And just from a consumer standpoint to have my uh, yard look like the day after service every day, uh, that's, that's hard to beat. Yeah, yeah. So the people that use it, um, 
that I've talked to are very, very bullish on that being a very standard part of the industry going forward. Yeah. So we've got another question coming in now about cost and, uh, you know, these big commercial mowers, um, would you say they're, uh, if they're autonomous uh, or uh, self-driving, one and a half times, two times, three times, four times the price of a regular mower? If you were, so because there's so many different models, the way that they're charging for them, if you um, are buying a unit, it's going to be normally 15, 20, um, up to 30. I've, I think the highest I've seen uh, versus our standards around 35%, maybe higher than a standard unit. I don't think most, I'll be honest, I think what wins out at the end of the day is going to either be this acreage pricing or uh, robotics as a service fee agreement. I don't think that for at least the first five or so years that they're going to want to go out there and let you buy the hardware. I think this hardware will be uh, quickly evolving. And as it does, then it'll be, it'll be who the roboticists to put new units out. And so if you go and buy something that's brand new, that's, you know, going to feel very aged in 18 months, you're going to be unhappy as a consumer too. So I think that they're going to go to a per acre pricing. So if you look at whatever your typical crew does, and say, here's what I pay that guy to produce X amount of, and this is where we got to get smarter as an industry because not everybody can do this. This isn't easy. But if you go through and say, hey, this crew produces 30 acres a week uh, with that kind of mower that I currently have, and these guys come in and say, hey, we'll do your 30 acres a week for X amount of dollars per acre. You need to know, is it higher or lower than what it costs me to produce right now? And then you'll have your answer. For me, I have found that, you know what, it's probably up front on pre-production prototypes. It's probably going to be about the same. I'm not saving anything currently with uh, versus putting a human on machine going out because I'm very curious and because it's extraordinarily expensive for these guys to develop these R&Ds. Yellowstone is willing to go out there and take a chance with them and say, hey, we're going to go out. We may not save a lot of money right now, but we're going to learn this and we're going to be better because of it. And we're going to help you make a better product that's better for us. Um, so right now I would say I'm probably break even. There are times where I go out and it's really impressive. You can see one guy using three machines. He's huh. jumping on it, mowing manually, and he's got two of them going in different fields and other areas. And I'm like, that's when you're killing it, right? That's when you got one guy doing the production of three people. I know that there's going to be a lot of those instances out there, especially in wide open fields, municipal work. Um, there's going to be times where we can go out and really kill it on different open sites. And I'll show you like, um, you know, once we go and we, we do an open site measurement and we're like, oh man, look at all these different parts that can be automated. That's when we make money. There's going to be other sites where we don't make as much money. So I think it's a goal for me um, is my goal is to try to, to, to take a, a four man crew, let's call it, and let three guys be able to do the work of four guys. So if I have, you know, I can take that extra guy that used to be on that crew and I can put him on another crew, start a new crew, do something else. Uh, again, not get rid of the guy, but instead go out there and do more with the same amount of people. I think we can do that. I think a crew will eventually cost you about 25% less to produce with these machines than they will currently. And that's that's what I'm hopefully going out there to help prove. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating, right? Because first of all, just the 35% uh, more at the high point, I don't think that's bad at all. But uh, then if you do break it down to a per job basis, your ROI is instantaneous if you're paying on a monthly. Yeah. And especially if you're in a labor market where you have a really hard time finding people, you know, you may not be able to go out and get 10 people right now, but if you can go out and get five of these mowers and five people, well, maybe you can do the same amount of work. Um, so I, I think it's 
this will be a less limiting resource than labor will be uh, in the future once we get these things up to production and get a bunch of them put out into the market. Um, but I do think that it's it's going to be very, very useful for a lot of people, especially on open sites. Yeah. So, uh, Ben, kind of as a, a summary here, um, if you uh, were talking to somebody who was on the fence, should I do this? Shouldn't I? Uh, what, what advice do you have for them? Um, yeah. And I've got some just some breakdowns here um, where I think it's really important for all of us to know. If you want to be an early adopter, you have to, like in anything, you have to be willing to sacrifice. And what I mean by that is they don't know all the answers as roboticists and as, as companies that are producing these units. We have to help make them smarter people. The people that get into it earlier, I think, are going to have a better chance of being ahead of the curve than those that don't, than those that don't adopt it as quickly. So you have to have patience, right? You have to go out there and say, like, I can't buy this tomorrow and be like, oh, well, I don't have to worry about that anymore. The mowing's taking care of itself. You have to be a partner with these guys, go out there and help them figure it out. Where does it work? Where does it not work? And give them good feedback to help make it better. I think that everybody, if you're listening to this call, you're probably already a, a, a forward-thinking person anyway. And I would say you're the perfect candidate to go out there and try to partner with these guys. They're all over the country. They want to do what's right by the industry. They want to sell a lot of these robots. The only way they can do that is by getting more people like us, giving them feedback to make them better. So I would recommend everyone at least try if you're in residential reach out to the husbandas and nextmos and other guys out there to say how do i get us a couple of these units at my house or somewhere where i can learn more about them uh, if you're doing commercial work you know reach out to each one of these companies that i've put up on the screen before and say hey how can i help be a um, be an ambassador for the brand and go out there and, and make this product better for you they'll get better because of it you'll be better because of it and you'll be ahead of your competitors in your space i think yeah, very, uh, very cool and good advice there. I'm also looking at this uh, production at night. Are many people doing work at night these days? Yeah, so I'll take some use case examples. I, I wouldn't do this in areas where we have a whole lot of pedestrian traffic on retail centers, right? So I wouldn't do that at night because there's still people out there doing stuff. But on, uh, if you take an industrial park or you take um, uh, you know, a Walmart production facility or you take a, mm. uh, a place that uh, schooling system, municipal stuff, where there's not really going to be much um, people, pedestrian traffic or other things that are going to be an obstacle. You would still want to manage that. You still want to have somebody on call out there in that property while it's mowing. But it does open up completely, especially in hot markets where you're down here in the south and there in California too. I mean, it might be more pleasant during many times a year to work at night than it's during the day. You may have guys that want to do it. Well, these mowers don't care. They don't rely on the sun. Right. So they don't need to be able to see their their GPS radar, LIDAR stuff can see in the dark anyway. So, yeah, we're we're testing this out of the theory, especially for places where we can show up and, and um, where guys are direct reporting, you know, where you just can have that dude running 24 hours a day, yeah. um, which is really exciting. You just got to make sure you have somebody willing to stay out there at night to, to, to watch it. But um, but I do think you could have multiple units running at the same time overnight and people show up the next day and everything's just done. Yeah, that's uh, that that's <laughs> that's pretty exciting. Talk about really stretching your workday and uh, and production ability. That's uh, that, that's fantastic. And also, I think you're going to grab a different uh, potential labor market that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, imagine the ROI. It, it hopefully, just gets better and better. If these guys can work at night and daytime, um, then you know you're going to get even more out of each unit, which makes it even easier to make the decision to to try it out. Yeah. 
Well, listen, this has been just fantastic today. I'm, uh, I'm really excited about this technology, uh, even more so than I was uh, when, when we first started. Uh, it's answering a lot of questions that um, uh, the landscape industry has to solve. And, uh, and this is really, uh, really a step in the, in the right direction. So um, thank you so much for spending uh, some time with us and, and taking us through this because, uh, man, uh, the wealth of knowledge that we picked up today is, is fantastic. So thanks, Ben. Sure, no problem, Richard. And anybody has any questions, you want to reach out to Yellowstone, just let me know. I'd be happy to, to work with you. Okay, definitely. And I want to thank all the viewers out there today. Appreciate you uh, spending some of your day with us. Uh, that's always appreciated. And remember, you can see any of our over 200 trainings at the janesusa.com forward slash trainings uh, website or wherever you listen to your favorite uh, podcast these days. Uh, we're going to be back on Friday, and we're going to be talking about ag technology. So another technology session, and uh, talking about uh, how to how to what steps you need to take to make sure you're buying the right ag technology for your use, and uh, and how to pick the right dealer or distributor to uh, help you with that. So again, Ben, thanks so much. Uh, great great job on the on the webinar and all the great things that uh, Yellowstone's doing. We really appreciate that. Uh, thanks everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.